Okay, let's pray, guys, and uh, we'll get started for, for today, okay? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, uh, we come before you now, and we're so grateful, uh, Lord, for the grace that you give us, and Lord, thank you for sustaining each and every one of us during the week and, and just causing us to walk with you and, and being the lifter of our heads, Lord. We, we are obviously burdened today for our nation. We are burdened today for the state of the church in America. And Lord, we're burdened for our own, our own church and our own families. And um, we are, uh, Lord, we, we, we long for your salvation, Lord. What can we say? We, when we look at what's going on around us and we just simply, we simply just look to you and we cry out. We say, Lord, save us, gather us from the nations, Lord, and that we might worship your holy name and give you thanks. Thanks for your praise, Lord, as uh, First Chronicles says, Lord. Um, so we just pray, God, that you would <clears throat> give us uh, a mind to discern, make us men and women of discernment, help us to be skillful at rightly dividing the word of truth so that we will not be carried around, carried about by the waves of doctrine, by the trickery of cunning, deceiving men, Lord, and just give us... Um, Give us great discernment, Lord. We know we're living in the last days, and we just ask that you would use us, Lord, for your glory in this time, that we would rise up, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So obviously, um, uh, just a little bit of, uh, just, just a little bit of uh, <clears throat> a change has taken place since the last time we were here, right, in our country. Um, really, really significant uh, times that we're living in, and I thought, you know, the first thing I thought uh, when I saw what happened this week is, you know, why would God choose us to be alive in this time? You know, what, why us? You know, God's eyes are no longer on Spurgeon. They're no longer on Calvin and Whitfield and Wet Edwards. And, you know, they're no longer on uh, D.L. Moody and, and the great, you know, evangelists of the past. You know, his eyes are on us now. You know, we, we are now uh, the generation through which God is going to choose to, to speak uh, very prophetically into this, into this generation, into this culture. And I tell you what, you got to go back. And if, How many of you were here for the Truth and Love Conference? Good. How many of you were not here? Shame on you. No. Uh, <laughs> the good thing for you is that you can go online and you can watch the, uh, the sessions, the Truth and Love Conference sessions. And... How many of you were paying attention at the Truth and Love Conference? <laughs> right? so, so it might be good for us to go back and reflect on some of the things that James and, and, and Pastor uh, uh, Tom Pennington taught us and uh, the one session that I did too, um, just kind of reflect on it. I think it would have, have a different ring now when we go back and listen to that stuff. But, but this is the evil of our times. I mean, we are here now confronted with some very, very, very sobering uh, realities and uh, how we're going to respond as a Christian community. Any thoughts? Uh, anyone? I just kind of wanted to open it up because I know that um, a lot of you have been reflecting on it as well, and certainly you have thoughts um, that you might have been thinking about. Yes, Mike? Oh, so, so I think that we're in the times that this is the one that's on the Uh-huh. Just as it was in the times of Noah. Noah. Yeah. That's how it was. <clears throat> right, right. Um, we're just now seeing the, the beginning. We walked through the threshold of it all. It started. Right. And uh, I believe God is saying, get prepared. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, amen. I mean, we have, here's the thing is we have the truth of Scripture. (laughs) You know, that's the great thing is that we have the Word of God that tells us precisely uh, what the truth is and what our hope is all about. And and regardless of what this crazy world does, uh, we have the foundation of truth itself. We have the revealed Word of God. And uh, when I say we have a prophetic ministry that is in front of us now, what I mean is something like what you find in the prophetic ministry of the minor prophets that were outcasts in their times. I mean, we're going to get there even in Hebrews. You read Hebrews chapter 11, there towards the latter end, you're going to see the way that the prophets were maligned and the prophets were mistreated and the way that the prophets were outcasts because of their prophecies, right? Because they were not in keeping with the times, not in keeping with the religious message that people wanted to hear. That's, I think that is, is what is the most eye-opening thing of this whole thing is, is that right now people want to hear a specific religious, and it's not that they want to do away with religion altogether or be completely irreligious. They want a spirituality, but they just don't want the spirituality of the Bible. That's what's amazing. I think, uh, Avidu, you had your hand up first. I know there's a lot of headlines, a lot of media coverage of uh, the opposition. There you go. Claiming victory, and, but we know we got the victory in Christ. But just remember that they yeah. may think they won this battle, but we won right. the war. That's right. Christ. So don't feel too down as a Christian. Right. Don't feel too a burden. Uh, pray for your enemies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pray for those that are in ignorance. Mm-hmm. And uh, don't go so much on the uh, offensive when you see the celebration blatantly in our faith. Right. And so many people calling themselves pastors, even in the media, are uh, claiming uh, victory for for the gays. Mm-hmm. Claiming to be pastors, claiming mm-hmm. to be Christians. Mm-hmm. Pray for them too. Oh sure. Yeah, that's right, Crystal. Um, well, already you might know this, but um, so I got my husband to watch Audacity, and <laughs> <laughs> Audacity is uh, the new film by Ray Comfort on homosexuality that he produced, you know, long prior to this. It just happened to coincide with the ruling. It just kind of came out, but uh. so um, so he watched it, and I mean he's not a believer or anything. So he and I were kind of going back and forth, back and forth, and he was <coughs> like, "Well, uh, well, good for them. They're happy now." And he 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 commented on the uh, uh, old uh, older couple that's like eighty some years old or something that finally got married. He's two men. And he said, well, they're happy now. And I said, well, their happiness is in this world. Ours is in God, with God forever and all. And so, you know, I was just kind of, he, he just, he was, he's very on their side. And I used to be on their side too, but I'm not anymore. And, and so it's kind of hard in the house, the tension between us, the conflict. And, and so I, we have to agree to disagree. Yeah. And that's hard sometimes to do that. Well, thank you for sharing that. We could be praying for you for sure. Yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, I think and now we're going to start really uh, learning what it means when Scripture says, you know, that members of their own household would be divided among each other, you know. A mother and daughter and, and uh, a person's child will deliver you up to the authorities. I mean, we might get to taste a little, a little bit of that now in our own generation. 
You know what I mean? I mean, you think about the vast implications of what this means. Um, somebody's just telling me today that, you know, if you go on a lot of the job search engines now, uh, they're fully plastering, you know, gay rights and gay pride everywhere. So now it's like, think about the, the, the employment level, you know, the educational system, they have the flag up. Um, I, of course, I saw a picture of, uh, of the White House in rainbow. I also saw a picture of Disneyland. I couldn't tell the difference between the two. What's the difference now? You know? <laughs> Disneyland, White House, and all the same to me, right? <clears throat> um, so yeah, we have obviously a, a huge challenge ahead of us. But uh, I like what Russell Moore said. And if you heard my podcast, I talked about his article where he talks about that we need to, as a church, we need to be prepared to receive the refugees of the sexual revolution because there will be. People, uh, this machine is going to be spitting out refugees that went, thought that they had what they finally wanted, and they will become disillusioned and disenchanted with their sin, you know, very quickly, especially as we know that God is going to save his people. He's working in the midst. He always has done this. God has always worked in the midst of, of judgment, in the midst of, of trial and tribulation. And i got to be honest with you. I mean, America, we're something, of an, we're, we're something of an anomaly in church history. I mean, this is just not the way that it is in church history. I don't know how much church history you've studied, but to be without persecution for so long is an anomaly. It is not the norm. It is, we are very, very unique. And uh, the Christian church has almost never known what it meant to live without persecution. So that uh, it costs you something to, to, to follow Christ. Those words, you know, take up your cross and follow me. We're no longer going to be thinking, that means my boss yelled at me at work. Somebody gave me a hard look in the office. No, no, we're going to start to understand a different level of what that means now. You know, and uh, I'm excited. Are you guys excited? <laughs> I mean, yes, it's depressing. Yes, it's, a, it's sad in the sense of, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a gut check, right? Because we feel, so, we feel so bad for the culture. We feel so bad for the country. And we, we feel so awful for our leaders. I mean, Timothy says, pray for, for your leaders, those who are in authority, kings and everybody in authority. We have to be praying for them because they're, they're going along with the course of the power of the air. They're going along with the sons of disobedience. You know, Peter talks about, you know, the culture that they will be, they will be in shock that you do not run along with them in the excess of their dissipation. They will just be in shock that you're just not on board with this, with this level of immorality. What are you talking about? It's legal. What's wrong with you? Right? And uh, we come back to... Principle: The Word of God is settled in heaven, right? Yes, sir. I'm just curious of how some of these churches are waking up today that say, "I'll never happen." Don't worry about it. The Supreme Court's going to do the right thing. I've got friends of mine up in Sherman. We just moved them to the same thing. It's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. I said, "What's going to happen when they come into our church there and ask for the pastor?" To I said, I said, it's not when it happens, it's when it's going to happen. I'll say, that's the pastor. They're going to do it. They're going to do it. Here I am, Lord, send him. <laughs> 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 <laugh
But you know they're going to do it because they're going to do it so they can sue a bunch of people, try to cut people down. That's the only reason they're going to do it because they got their whole church to do it, but they're going to come out and do it in your church. Right, right, right. They're going to do it in your bakery and your store. Well, your and you know, pray for Chris and I so that we, you know, give, God will give us wisdom even as a, a church collectively to know just what, what steps we need to take uh, legally as a lot of churches are doing now to protect themselves uh, through, through the way of bylaws and constitution and all of that so that we're protected as much as possible, right, uh, for, from, from what is seemingly coming, which is a tidal wave of, of persecution really by way of legislation and supremely through uh, anti-discrimination laws. So that is really what we need to be thinking about. Uh, anyway, I just thought we'd open it up with that because I know it's on everybody's minds. Didn't want to uh, ignore the elephant in the room. But now let's go back to what we've been looking at in systematic theology with the doctrine of adoption. We left off looking at observations of the doctrine of adoption, and we talked about the primacy of the family of God, and we looked at those passages that talked about, well, when Jesus... Um, there's a whole row, second row up here is, is open. I know it's kind of a long trek, but feel free. But, you know, we talked about the primacy of the family of God and how we are more family in the spirit than we are with our blood family. I mean, uh, Jesus made it very clear, and this is all obviously a consequence of adoption. And those, even that, I mean, just talk about what we were just talking about. I mean, even this is going to take new weight, right? Uh, if anything that persecution produces is, is, is a new weightiness to the truths of Scripture where we start taking things in Scripture a bit more serious than maybe we have in the past. Start listening a little bit closer uh, to the sermons from now on. So this is good news for me. Um, okay, so next one. Next one, the privileges of adoption here. Uh, I love what Thomas Watson said. He said, adoption is greater mercy than Adam had in paradise. He was a son by creation, but here is a further sonship by adoption. Uh, God, we are his children, not just by virtue that he is our creator. Uh, we look at that. That's a general description that everybody uh, falls beneath. Everyone in that sense, according to Acts chapter 17 and other places, is a child of God in that God is their father. That is their creator. They owe their ultimate ancestry to him. But our adoption, our sonship, is spiritual. It is something that is uh, rooted in the volitional decree of God, that God has decided to enter into a covenant relationship with a people who he will adopt, who he will, well, let's put it in order, right? Who he will call, who he will justify, and having justified, whom he will adopt into his family, legally, through his justifying work. So next is, again, uh, the fact that we now belong to a new spiritual family. I wanted to emphasize this because, uh, though we've kind of touched on this a little bit, recognize that in the eyes of God, right, there's really only two kinds of people in the world, right? You are either a child of God or you are a child of wrath, a child of disobedience, a child of the devil. Um, this is the way that Jesus saw things. Remember John 8, 44, you are of your father, the devil. Uh, but today, uh, folks want to confuse the idea of adoption because that's what's implied. 
They want to uh, they want to confuse this with the general you know um, with these sort of you know generalized maxims that people use. You know, we're all children of God. Aren't I a child of God? You know, these kinds of things. Um, but Scripture is very clear that there are. There are two types of spiritual families in the world. There are the, 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 the descendants of God. There are the sons of God and the sons of the devil, um, which is really remarkable because you start seeing this in terms of the worldview implications, that we really are following a completely different set of standards because we belong to a different family. That all has to do with the doctrine of adoption. So turn to Ephesians 2 just to see that. Ephesians chapter 2, just to see the categories that are involved. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked. Now that word there, to walk, what does that mean? You walked, you formerly walked. It uses this word walk metaphorically to speak of a lifestyle, and even more importantly, of a worldview that you have adopted. You know that because of what he says. He says, according, watch this, to the course of this world. You see that? So if you're not adopted into the family of God, you are under this influence here, that you're walking according to the course of the world. What is the course of the world, everyone? Chris? Yeah, the world system. The world system. Now, the Bible uses the word world a lot. Right? So what are you saying? The system of creation? No. Uh, the system of the human race? Yeah, the culture, ever since Adam fell, you know, the way of thinking, the way of life to the, that is um, flowing with, with those who are, are not the children of God. Okay. Anybody else? Juan? See, man is the measure of all things. Okay. And man says ultimately what is and what is not. And it's, it's not God, but right. it's man who dictates. So more of a humanistic yeah. mentality. So what you're, what you're saying is that when it says the course of the world, that what it has in mind is man philosophy, is right? A certain philosophy. In this case, humanism, right? Man is the measure of all things. The natural man. The natural man, okay? The mood of the current time. The word is never changing, but the world is always changing. Okay, right. Yes, sir? Mm. In, a, in a kingdom of darkness, mm. right? They're enslaved to that, and they cannot get out of it. Yeah, like blinded by the God of this world. So what do you think that means there? 2 Corinthians 4, 4, right? Blinded by the God of this world. What do you think that means? Um, they worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. Yeah, they, okay. believe that, they believe that lie. So who's the God of this world? In that In that text? There's, there is a debate there exegetically among some commentators that the God of this world, the God of this age, is actually God, the true and living God, and that th- what that's referring to there is a judicial hardening kind of similar to uh, Romans chapter 1 and God giving a people over to a reprobate mind. But that's, that's actually, I don't think that's valid. I think it is referring to lowercase g, the God of this world, meaning Satan. And this world, I think, is the key. The key is that the world there in that context is pejorative, meaning it has a negative 
connotation. It's not a good thing. It's a bad thing. It's not, the, the, it's, not, <clears throat> it's not God Almighty who is the God of this world as creator. It's the God of this world, meaning cosmos, in a negative sense, meaning the God of this age, this evil world system that we live in. And so that's what Ephesians chapter 2 is also talking about when it says the course of this world. It is literally referring to the evil system of this age comprised of all the philosophies, ethics, moral standards, ways of, 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 of lifestyles and uh, worldviews, morals, all, ethics, all of those things that make up the overarching uh, worldview of life under the sun. Life post-Genesis 3, after Genesis 3, which is a fallen world system, which is a mind that is futile and darkened by God. You know, I was re- reminded of this because I was meditating so deeply on uh, Peter's words when he says, you know, that verse I just quoted you earlier, that the, the culture will get to a point where they will literally be shocked that you don't just go along with their immorality. They will be like, What's wrong with you? Why don't you see the beauty <laughs> of, of this, right? And <clears throat> literally, when I was reflecting on that, I thought, you know, because just prior to that, Peter says, enough time has passed in living in, in, in the excess of the flesh, right? Of doing the desires of the Gentiles. So basically just saying, like, you've lived in this long enough. God has called you out now, right? Just like uh, 1 Corinthians 6 uh, 11, right? When he lists, you know, no liar will inherit the kingdom of God, no, 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 no fornicator, no homosexual, no, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then he says in verse 11, and such were some of you. You used to be homosexual. You used to be fornicators. You used to be liars and thieves and drunkards and everything else. But you were washed, but you were cleansed, but you were sanctified by the blood of Jesus, right? So, so I was just reflecting on that, that boy, the, the things that God has called me out of, I was reflecting on my own life thinking, I was in such darkness. I was running in the course of this world. I mean, I was, head, I was trying to lead the pack, <laughs> you know? And, and God, by his sovereign grace, plucked me out. He plucked me out by his sovereign grace and for his sovereign purpose. But listen to what else that it says here, guys. I, I think one of the things that, that we have left behind in the church, because we're so scientific now, and this is really has to do historically now, follow me. I don't have a board or else I do a timeline, but uh, when you think about what happened post-enlightenment, so you're talking about David Hume, Locke, you're talking about... Um, you're talking about philosophers like Berkeley. You're talking about philosophers like uh, Immanuel Kant and these kind of folks. But that after this period of time, so you're talking 18th century, 19, early 19th century, you're talking about this period of time where after that was ushered in this, this massive tidal wave of anti-supernatural sentiment. Even theologically, right? Theologically, the Germans were really leading in this area uh, men like um, Albert Schweitzer and Rudolf Boltmann. These men were leading in the category of denying the supernatural. Denying the supernatural. And one of the things that I think that it's done to the church is it's weakened our... Um, it, it, it has weakened the impact of what Paul's about to say here in, in, in Ephesians chapter 2, where he says, not only do you walk according to the course of this world, watch this, according to the prince of the power of the air. 
That's an amazing, amazing phrase. They try to unpack that a little bit for us. According to the prince of the, who's the prince here? Satan. Satan, right? The power of the air is what? Do you know? The spirit of the Antichrist? The spirit of the Antichrist? The spirit of the Antichrist? Okay. But, but, but the, mention, the mention here to the air. Okay. Anyone? The cosmic powers. Okay, so when it says here the power of the air, it is referring to the influence that the spiritual, here in this case, the demonic realm, has upon culture. Remember? So this is kind of like a parallelism. Remember what he just said? That you run according to the course of this world. The parallel idea then is the power of the air, right? Same thing. In other words, what is fueling the way that this fallen present evil age thinks? A satanic influence is fueling the way that this evil present age thinks. So you have a parallel idea in 1 John, 1 John chapter 5. Uh, verse 20, where it talks about the whole world lies, literally, the Greek word is in the lap of the evil one, <laughs> right? Like a master puppet, Satan is working his, his, his tactics, his schemes, right? But don't get it twisted, right? This is not Satan, the, the master puppet, uh, how am I, help me with this. He, 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 yeah, puppeteer or whatever, right? He, he's not the master puppeteer, right? As if no strings are attached to him, right? Because the sovereign God, okay, is ultimately sovereign over everything that Satan does. Don't get that twisted. And for that, just look at the book of Job, right? Where Satan has to ask permission to do the things that he is about to do, right? In other words, he has a leash, too, you know. He's not just free to roam and to exercise, you know, his power at will, at whim, whenever he wants, however he wants. If Satan can do whatever he wants, then what our doctrine would be, was it would not be total depravity. It would be utter depravity. Utter depravity, not total depravity. The difference between total depravity and utter depravity is that total depravity means man is depraved in every aspect of who he is. His mind, his body, his passions, his being, his volition, everything. Utter depravity says that man is as depraved as he can be. Right? But man is not as depraved as he can be. Uh, remarkable, right? Could we imagine it any worse? Lord have mercy. We would kill ourselves. <laughs> I, yeah, exactly. I mean, just annihilation of self. I mean, we, I mean, he comes to, to steal, to kill, to destroy. And uh, uh, thank God that it is not utter depravity. Utter depravity belongs to hell. Utter depravity will be in hell. And, um, but um, did you have a, a question? You did raise your no, hand. It's, it's Sorry, I get preaching and I just leave people yeah. behind. Sorry. Okay, so any questions on that? Ephesians chapter 2, though. Any questions on that? Any thoughts that that provoked for you? Yes, sir. I was going to, do you think that because that ideal after Hume and all those philosophers, that that has caused certain 
mental illnesses to maybe perhaps be overlooked as Bus. demonic suppression yeah. of some sort? I mean, um, I, I'm not so sure, you know, um, uh, because I've seen the difference between, let's say, schizophrenia and demonic possession. I've been in the presence of both. And I've seen demon possession, you know, unmitigated demon possession, you know, and I've also seen uh, mental oppression. I would say demons definitely can use mental oppression or mental disorder in a demonic sense, right? Uh, it is by not, it, it's not a consequence that many, for example, <clears throat> for, oh boy, uh, I don't know how many months I ministered to a severely schizophrenic young man, and we would meet week after week after week, and I would work with him on just his thinking and his walk and, and just uh, his medication and all of that. And uh, not surprising, and I've known many schizophrenic believers that at least profess. Matter of fact, I have one really close friend who was um, uh, severely schizophrenic his whole life and uh, especially in his teenage years. He got saved, he got radically saved, and uh, uh, he, he you know, lived a life of godliness, but he took his medication. I mean, he's so severely schizophrenic one time, he walked from L.A., I think it was, he walked from L.A. to Riverside County barefoot. He walked, I mean, just out, talk about out of your mind. I don't know, how, I don't know if you know how far that is, <laughs> but that'd be walking like from here to Fort Worth barefoot. You know, just out of his mind, clearly schizophrenic, but God saves him, and he uses, providentially, he uses, right, the, the grace of medicine to keep him in a stable environment. But guess what he often hallucinated about? Demonic things, evil things, satanic things. He often hallucinated about biblical things. Amazing. And so did the guy that I would work with for a long time. He was, he was convinced that hell was here and that eventually this place will get so bad that the literal fires of hell are going to start coming out of the earth, coming out of the television. Okay, this is what I'm working with at Starbucks. Okay. <laughs> so, so, do, so, so, do de so do demons, do demons use mental disorder? to their own, for their own sinister end? Well, they use healthy minds for their own sinister ends. How much more are they gonna use mental disorder? So you better believe it, there's a mixture there. You know, I don't know what the fine line between possession and, and mental disorder, you know. Um, Yeah, and there's no, um, this is not new for us. Um, even the Gospels, uh, look it up, I can't think of it where it is now, but look in the Gospels, I mean, the Gospels very clearly, for example, point out that some of the people that Jesus healed were epileptic. So they had a physical disorder that could have easily mis been misconstrued as demonic possession, but it was not, it was epilepsy. People convulsing and throwing themselves on the ground. I mean, you would think <laughs> that that... that that person might be demon-possessed, but scripture makes a distinction. Some epileptics and some demoniacs, you know? I, I don't know, it's just to me, you know when you're in the presence of demonic manifestation. I mean, uh, you know, when I was in Africa, I had the unfortunate 
the unfortunate privilege of meeting a couple of demon-possessed people, and there's just no question that you're dealing with demon possession. You know, it's just no question. No, nobody's questioning it at that point, you know. So, okay, let's, uh, <clears throat> let's go on uh, because I'm already, is that clock right back there? It is. I was hoping it wasn't right. Um, <coughs> new spiritual family. Isaiah 30, verse 1 says, Woe to the rebellious children, declares the Lord, who execute a plan, but not mine, and make an alliance, but not of my spirit, in order to add, watch this, sin to sin, or transgression to transgression. Right? A compiling, a compounding effect of sin. That's what our nation's done this week. Right. We have just compounded sin. <laughs> Just one sin on top of another, right? A society cannot flourish and it cannot thrive under that type of, of depraved indifference. This sinning with impunity, thinking that you will sin without any repercussion. Society simply cannot sustain itself. And the prophets are a perfect place to look. I mean, just read some of the prophetic literature. I really encourage you, begin your, your Bible reading here this week. Uh, just open up the book of Hosea. Start with the minor prophets. <clears throat> Daniel is technically a minor prophet, but he's always categorized as a major prophet. So start with Hosea, and then move down the line, Joel and Amos and all the others, and you'll begin to see so much of the language, the national scale of sin in the prophets, and you start thinking, wow, that's exactly, that's exactly what we're in right now. Exactly. God's word is not mocked. Are you think surprised to God? Oh, yeah, he's never covered anything like this before. Oh, no, God knows exactly what it means when a society adds sin to sin. Mm -hmm. you know? um, okay. Another privilege of adoption is that we have access to the Father. This is glorious, right? Precious, precious truth. We have access to the Father. We have access to the throne of grace, right? Direct access. And all of these scriptures uh, bear uh, clear to that. Now, turn to Romans 8.26, if you will. Romans chapter 8. Obviously, Romans 8 is a classic passage on adoption, right? <clears throat> um, but I want to look at uh, 26. Well, I guess we can look at verse 15 as well. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading, leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Now, when it's a sons, and you say, well, I'm not a son, I'm a daughter. Well, in essence, that's what Scripture means. Because the idea of adoption, the word adoption in the Greek literally is the word that means sonship. That's the Greek word, sonship. So in other words, that is how in the Greek language they kind of headed off the doctrine of adoption or the idea of adoption through sonship. It was not daughtership, it was sonship. But it meant sons and daughters. And uh, <clears throat> actually scripture goes on to say that very thing, sons and daughters. But... Um, Notice what the Spirit does, verse 15. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which you cry out, Abba, Father. Now verse, six, verse 26. Verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. 
for we do not know how to pray as we should. But meditate on that for, for a while, right? We do not know how to pray as we should. God, help us for our prayerful ignorance. We do not pray as we ought to. Our prayers are often fall miserably short of the things and in the nature and in the demeanor and in the attitude and the content of what we should be praying about. But the Spirit graciously, He Himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. And He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is. That is God. He searches the hearts and He knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. In other words, just notice here that the, the intercessory work of the Spirit, he gives expression to our adoption. The Spirit gives expression to, to, to our adoption, crying out, Abba, Father, going to the Father and communicating to him on our behalf. This is the Spirit of adoption. Any questions about that? What a tremendous verse, though, right? Wow, the Spirit and how He is working in us. I mean, you're talking about groanings too deep for words, right? Uh, which presupposes you're groaning in prayer. Wow. Agonizing in prayer. You know, how many people right now over what's taken place are now agonizing in prayer, right? Um, at, what, at what point does God need to bring us to to, to the point where our, in our prayer meetings we're broken and weeping. I don't know. I, I just remember seeing a, a video of a group of Pentecostals in Brazil. Um, and they're, they're there and they're at a concert. And I forgot the lady that, that leads it up. She's a very, very popular a Christian singer in Brazil. I think there's something like 500,000 people at her concert. Just an ocean of people. Okay, and during, it's a worship concert, and during the worship concert, of course, <clears throat> you know, it's not my theology, right, but there's prophesying and speaking in tongues going on, you know, they're just going for it, you know what I mean? But here's the thing, is that they're on stage weeping and wailing for the pornographic culture in which they live in Brazil. For the, for the uh, what, what, what is the, the, the Brazilian festival? I think it's called Festival. Festival Brazil, which is like a Mardi Gras, right, on steroids. I mean, it's essentially public sex, sorry. And they're on stage just bawling for the state of their country, weeping and crying out to God that God would put an end to the festival of Brazil. And when, when are Christians going to do that in America? Where, why weren't we on the steps of the Supreme Court? weeping and wailing and preaching and crying down the sins of the people. That's what I mean by prophetic ministry. Like prophets in the streets. And don't expect to get any fame for that. Just expect to get nothing but ridicule and hostility and everything else. And, um, yeah. So, <clears throat> the other privilege now. <clears throat> God relates to us as his children. The uh, London Baptist Confession of Faith I liked uh, what it had to say there, said that uh, as children we are pitied, protected, provided for, and chastened. That's part of it too, right? 
You bless your children. You're playing with your children. You're laughing with your children. You're horsing around. And you're disciplining. Right? And that's the way that God is with us. He blesses us. He gives us good things, gifts, and he corrects us when we need to be corrected. And he trains us because not all, not all of God's chastising work is a, 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 a correction, right? Some of that, like for example, in Hebrews, Hebrews, um, Hebrews chapter, I think it's Hebrews chapter 12, where it talks about the chastening of the Lord, right? And that we ought not to despise it, right? Because no chastening seems good for the moment, but afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. So, 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 so God trains us. That's part of his discipline. And, and what, did it, what did the training of God look like for the Hebrews? You want to talk about a relevant book of the Bible right now that we're going through? It was persecution. God was chastening the church by allowing persecution. <laughs> so they can purify the church, right? I mean, let's just be honest. For a lot of Christians, I mean, because we have been in such a peacetime mentality, a literal Disneyland kind of existence here in America, where we can come and go as we please and we can do whatever we want. We can preach wherever we want. We can hand out tracts. We can get on television. We can do whatever we want. And it's just been so easy up to this point. Right? But at some point, God is going to purify those that are not serious. Not serious. And the purification process, according to church history, it doesn't look pretty. I'll tell you that right now. now. You go back, way back, to the ancient church. We've talked about this so many times. But to the, ta- the Donatist times, when during the persecution, oh, I think it was under Dalmatian, the emperor of Rome, where the church was under severe persecution. You had to, you had to pinch the incense at the altar of Caesar. You had to declare, Caesar is Lord, to be a citizen. Think about that, you guys. You had to declare before the altar, a pagan altar, grab a pinch of incense and declare in public, Caesar is Lord. And so Christians refused to do it. And as a result, they faced the sword. And so what that caused was mass apostasy. Massive apostasy. Where on a mass scale, Christians were leaving the faith. And they would pinch the ends if they would say, Caesar's Lord, just to save their skin. And Revelation says, blessed is the one, right, who doesn't, well, I don't know if it says that, but it says, speaks of the martyrs who did not love their life unto death. Right? That at the moment of decision, supreme on their heart was not the preservation of this temporal little life. Right? But it was so that they would inherit what was promised. Look at Daniel. Yeah. I know. They did. They said, yeah. And the greatest attitude represented there by Daniel's friends is when they tell the king, look, king, um, uh, we're not going to bow down to this idol. <laughs> you know, uh, we're not going to do it. Sorry. Uh, you do whatever you want. We're not doing it. Uh, and then he says, our God will deliver us. But then he add, they add this qualification, remember? Even if he doesn't. 
in no way will we bow down to this idol. That is the attitude that we have to have, right? It's not a name it and claim it attitude. My God will do it, right? Uh-uh, maybe he won't. Maybe he won't deliver you from the, fl- from the flames. And the attitude that you should have is even if God doesn't deliver us, Even if there is no rapture to deliver me, I still will not bow the knee to Baal. It's that simple. That's the kind of resolve that, that, that we have to have. Um, we are pity. Let me just run through some of these glorious texts. Uh, Psalm 103, verse 13, Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those that fear him. We are protected Praise the Lord. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence, and his children will have refuge. Oh, boy. It's almost a crime just to go through these, but so fast. We, uh, we're provided for, are not to spare a soul for a cent, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. He says, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. And so really what, um, what the threat of the threat that we're facing now, more than anything what it should produce is an unflinching courage. Courage in the protecting hand of God. And then, of course, chasten. We are chastened, but the confession is very, very careful to point out. Chastened yet not cast off. Right? Because I tell you, those folks in Hebrews very, very easily could have felt cast off from God. You know what I mean? Turn to Hebrews chapter um, 10. Hebrews chapter 10, which I think is what the chastening of chapter 12 is talking about, is chapter 10. Hebrews 10, verse 32. Talk about not being cast off. It's very easy for a Christian community looking like this to feel cast off. He says, remember the former days after you've been enlightened. You endured a great conflict of sufferings. What could that be referring to? I think he explains it. Partly being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations. And partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. Now, now that, that word there, treated, seems to imply physical abuse. That these Christians were actually physically mistreated. They were roughed up, beaten, thrown into prison. And he says, For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Therefore, because God does not cast them off, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance. Talk about a word for the church right now. You have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Could there be anything more glorious than that? Lastly, the concept of heirship. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. 
We will inherit all things, in other words. We have been adopted by God and for God. Already not yet. Meaning our adoption is sure, but our adoption will be consummated either through personal eschatology, that is when we die and go to heaven, (laughs) or through cosmic eschatology, that is when Jesus returns in the clouds for his people. Right? Um, Peter O'Brien, his fine, fine commentary on Ephesians. If you don't have it, you ought to have it. Uh, Peter O'Brien. God has made them his own. They are his treasured possession. And he will redeem them completely on the final day. God's people, comprising both of Jews and Gentiles, are his inheritance, his own possession, in whom he will display to the universe the untold riches of of his glory. We're out of time. Let's pray. Father, <clears throat> just a little foretaste now as we look at these uh, these different verses, all these passages, just a little foretaste, Lord, of the glory to come. And yet, Father, um, pry from our hands, we pray. We pray that you would pry from our hands uh, any humanistic ideas that we have, any Um, any type of self-exaltation that we have, any sense of self-preservation in this world, Lord, and help us, as Hebrews tells us, to endure so that we will receive what is promised. In Jesus' name, amen.